Hi, Vicky. Hi, Shane. Question for you today. Or, so let me back up. Do you do you visit the zoo? Is the zoo something that you do? Am I am I Dr. Seuss? <laughs> <laughs> You're Dr. Doolittle. I Ooh. um yes, I like the zoo. I don't get to go as much as I would want to, but I do like the zoo. What's your favorite animal at the zoo? I love to visit the meerkats. The meerkats. Yeah. You know, know the little trees. they they pop up oh, with their yeah, little yeah, yeah. hands. There was and, um, um did you watch the show back in the day, Meerkat Manor? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. It was an Animal Planet show. Oh, man. Oh. All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I love their... I bet I bet I would like that because I like their little, like, their little families. It's interesting. I, I used to... I mentioned this before, but in a different context, I used to volunteer at the zoo, and the right. specific program I did was... It was called Snore and Roar. And so basically families mostly families would camp out in tents and stuff in the zoo overnight and part of that experience was like a behind the scenes tour at one of the exhibits was it always in the same spot as the zoo like did you or in the zoo did you get to stay by like what's your oh your favorite animal you get to be by it yeah we always camped out at the same spot it was just it was such a surreal experience because it was right outside where the lions were. And so in the middle of the night, in the middle of DC, you would hear lions, wolves, and ambulances. Like uh- all at the same time. <laughs> Science is fascinating. But don't just take my word for it. Join us as we hear stories from scientists for everyone. I'm Shane Hanlon. And I'm Vicki Thompson. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. All right. So before we figure out exactly why we're talking about zoos, I want to bring in producer Molly McGid. Hi, Molly. Hi, Shane. So Molly, what's your favorite zoo animal? I don't know if it's a favorite animal, but it's more of an exhibit. Like when you go into the reptile and amphibian house and it's all sort of like dark and misty and like you're turning the corners and you're seeing things that's just it's such a great experience so that's so funny so i i'm a i'm a herpetologist by training so i studied amphibians reptiles that type of thing and i want to love the reptile exhibits (laughs) Mm -hmm. but they're always not all okay not always but a lot of them are kind of sad Mm. i mean i just maybe maybe that's Maybe that's unfair. I just feel like they kind of get the short end of the stick. It's like, okay, here's these tiny creatures, and now here's these tiny spaces. Maybe maybe I think, maybe it's unfair for me to want them to have spaces that are as big as elephant ranges or something like that. Yeah, maybe we should um, appreciate them more. Turn the lights on. Oh, yeah, yeah. See? I, I like this. We're going to start a campaign after after we record this to get better reptile exhibits. Okay, Molly. But so so why zoos? Why are we talking about zoos right now? Yeah, well, today we're talking about how animals appeared on Earth. It took billions of years for the ancestor of modern animals to appear, and even longer for creatures we see now at the zoo to evolve. In Carl Sagan's famous calendar metaphor, which showed Earth's history compressed into just a single calendar year, animals don't even appear until late November, and that's what we call the Cambrian explosion. So, I remember hearing like learning about this in school at some point in k through 12 
but I don't remember the specifics. The word explosion is in it. So I assume that means that there was a ton of life just popped up kind of all at once. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty typical explanation of what the Cambrian explosion was. But today we'll learn it might not be that simple. So we talked with Rachel Wood, a geoscientist who studies the Cambrian explosion. And Rachel's been interested in the mystery of how and when animals appeared on Earth for quite a while. Hello, so I'm um, Rachel Wood. I'm based at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland in the UK, and I'm a the professor of carbonate geoscience. It's been a particular interest of mine, I would say, for at least 10, 15, maybe 20 years in understanding this phenomenon we know as the Cambrian explosion or the Cambrian radiation. From about the age of six, I used to collect fossils waiting for the school bus, finding them in the, in the gravel. And I suppose I just simply never grew out of it. I mean, when I was an undergraduate about 100 years ago, the, the Cambrian explosion was described as the Cam- Cambrian explosion, that, that if, if you were walking up a succession of rocks from older rocks to younger rocks, all of a sudden you would be walking on the skeletons of animals and the, and the fossils of animals, and there would be nothing or very, very little before, and lots looking up, you know, up the succession into into younger and younger rocks. Of course, that we did know about older fossils, but they were thought to be something totally different and totally disconnected, and and probably not animals. And if they were animals, not in any way related to the the animals that are part of the Cambrian explosion, which are thought to be the origin the ancestors of modern animal groups. So I'd love to hear a bit more about some of your research into the Cambrian explosion. The number one question with trying to understand the Cambrian explosion is is even framing the question, what is it? And if we can agree on what it is, when did it start? So if we take it in a really, really broad brushstroke, it is the appearance and rapid diversification of animal groups. And I suppose the where I've got to in my thinking is that the Cambrian explosion was, was thought to be a Cambrian event, hence the name, because it was thought that the origin of all these major groups was indeed in the Cambrian, in the early Cambrian. But as we've discovered new fossils and in particular fossils with much older fossils and particularly fossils with exceptional preservation, we've realised that it's probably possible to make connections between Cambrian fossils and older fossils, fossils from the Ediacaran, particularly the the last few tens of millions of years of the Ediacaran. And they point to to a connection rather than being two disparate sets of unrelated groups, although this is all still very tentative. New work is suggesting that the origin of these major groups is simply not in the Cambrian anymore. It's, it's, we can push it back, maybe you know, in some cases a few million years, in other cases tens of millions of years. So I think as we, we think long and hard and we put together these characters and more and more exceptionally preserved material comes together and, and put thinking of it as a, as a whole, you can think of all these forms as being animals. And these are then just successive stages of the burgeoning of different types of animals appearing on the stage. And I just think it's, it, it creates a very useful narrative to think that these things are successive radiations. It makes more, 
sort of sense than than cutting it up and and, and compartmentalizing these these separate bits of time. So I'm trying to rethink about the Cambrian explosion given everything you've told me. And I'm curious if it was part of a larger range of events and it wasn't necessarily this larger range all in the Cambrian. Should we rename the Cambrian explosion or, or rethink it in some way? Well, that some people really, yes, don't believe it was a phenomenon at all. And it, it even, and it, it was neither an explosion nor was it Cambrian. Others do. I mean, again, it comes down to definitions. Now, if you want to define, for example, the Cambrian explosion as the origin of modern phyla, then you could argue that most of them are appearing in the Cambrian. The Cambrian is certainly distinctive with the, the record that we have, for example, of predation. We don't have that sort of record deeper in time. But you know, the way I prefer to think about it is, is life doesn't appear from nowhere. It always appears with some, pre, in, in some precursor state. And if you take a holistic view and sort of put all these fossils together that we see in the Ediacaran from about 575 million years ago until the Cambrian, some connections start to emerge. So for a long time, it was thought that these soft-bodied fossils in the Ediacaran were totally unrelated to uh, the Cambrian, and indeed were not even animals. Now, some of them may not be animals, but there's increasing evidence when you really pull apart their characteristics and detail that they are probably animals. They're eumetazoans, which are the, all the animals except the sponges. So the, the root even of those animals that we always thought were absolutely Cambrian, we are, they are turning up in the Ediacaran as well. So we're doing two things. We're, we're, we're pulling those animals back into older and older rocks, but we're also connecting the animals in those older rocks to the Cambrian animals. So when you, when you stand back and you get a wider context, you can see that there's a bigger picture emerging of you know, putting together all these, these animals as a series of successive radiations. Each one was, was fairly distinct. But if we just focus on the Cambrian alone, we lose all that context and we lose the, the context of understanding the, the origins and the harbingers, harbingers of what happened in the Cambrian. So this whole interval of time, it's probably only sort of 60, 70 million years or so, so much happens that is fascinating. But doesn't really just happen in the Cambrian. It is the Ediacaran Cambrian radiation that is so dynamic and so fascinating. So the Cambrian explosion is a misnomer then? It's neither in the Cambrian nor an explosion. So am I hearing that right? Yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. I feel like I've been lied to my entire life. Oh, drama queen. Um, how often have you actually been thinking about the Cambrian explosion? Well, so so as we heard earlier, evidently I don't even remember it that much from from school. So, okay, maybe 
I mean, I have been lied to my entire life, even though I don't <laughs> necessarily remember it. Okay, so using proper vernacular, the Edia Karen Cambrian radiation, what are folks finding as they look through the fossil record of this time? Well, Rachel and her team, they're looking for evidence of complex life during these periods. But that's not so easy because there's not just one definition of what complex life actually is. Well, you ask a different scientist and they'll give you a different definition. <laughs> so many would say complex life it comes with the eukaryotes, you know, the, the complex cells, you know, with, which have a nucleus and organelles and so on. Others might say, no, it's multicellular eukaryotes. And then, of course, only a, a tiny subset of the multicellular eukaryotes are animals. But I suppose we all have a fascination with the origin of animals because we're animals ourselves. And a lot of the, the, the world that we interact with closely is the animal world. And it's a world that we have an affinity to. So this is why this is a sort of enduring mystery, really, the origin of the animals. How do you think the fossil record has shaped our understanding of the Cambrian explosion because of either what we're able to find or what we're not able to find? Yes, I think that's absolutely critical. And, and, and therein lies a whole set of studies. Why, why are animals found in some places and not others? It's just as interesting sometimes to realise that the rocks should be providing evidence of animals, but they simply don't. Let's just say they're both lovely, shallow, marine, warm, tropical areas. Uh, why, why, sh why should one have life and not the other? And this leads me to another set of sort of ideas which derive from geochemical analyses, which is that the, the planet, certainly in the late uh, Ediacaran and, and, and probably into the early Cambrian as well, was simply extremely heterogeneous with the distribution of oxygen. And we know that animals demand oxygen. It was certainly a necessity that animals must have, have, have arisen in environments with at least some oxygen. We still don't know exactly how much or whether it was variable. But nonetheless, in the in the late Ediacar and early Cambrian, this distribution of oxygen in the seas was very, very probably very discontinuous, certainly heterogeneous. And there's now an enormous amount of work going in to try and understand where oxygen was, what was what was governing the distribution of oxygen in different uh, continents. Because, of, of course, at this time, we had a series of, of small continents, certainly by the Cambrian straddling the equator, and they all had their own regional redox dynamics in the, in the shallow marine seas. In other words, the, the availability of oxygen seems to have been a regional or local phenomenon. So there's an, a lot of work trying to understand where this oxygen was, how different was it in different places, how much was globally distributed, how much was locally distributed, and, of course, hand in hand with that, how did that control, if at all, the distribution of animals? So if, for example, there, were more, there was more oxygen available in one place, then maybe that created the conditions for more of this complex life or animals to emerge just from the fact that they could take advantage of the oxygen? Yes, it's, it, it's possible. I mean, obviously, we're not talking about changes in atmospheric oxygen here, which is, is, a, is global. But, for example, the same bit of time in Namibia, we have dominantly oxygenated oceans, 
with a slightly deeper ocean which had no oxygen it was anoxic but it was dominated by what had a lot of free iron it was called ferruginous but exactly the same bit of time in south china the conditions were far more anoxic and we had an ocean with a lot of free sulfur in the oceans it was euxinic so in other words a very very different inventory and distribution of if you like habitable space and not only that the the coming and going of oxygen was very very dynamic in the shallow marine seas and we don't yet fully understand how that was being uh, controlled and over what length scales the availability of oxygen was changing so what's the relationship between innovation diversification and then any variable of the of the earth could it be climate could it be redox could it be the availability of nutrients so i don't think we're anywhere near really understanding in terms of a, a shared process of all the environmental variables which we know were so dynamic during this bit of time and how did they really what is their real relationship if any to these extraordinary radiations that's what fascinates me and i don't think we really have the answers at all So a lot of this was actually happening at the local level, right? Exactly. Living things had to adapt to their environment at a local level, which led to this more complex, diverse life when we zoom out to a global scale. So then why explosion and why specifically in the Cambrian? It does sound like over time as as you find out more, like, the picture gets more complicated. Do you think in some ways the reason why we've, we've had this narrative of things being very separate and having just the Cambrian explosion happen in one specific time period is because it's, it's easier to think of it as just, like, one event rather than... Yes, I think, I think it probably comes from the fact that, I mean, fossils are conspicuously much more abundant in the Cambrian. So anyone you know, walking up through a succession of rocks would start to see more and more obvious fossils, particularly skeletal fossils. So I think it, 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 gives, it, it very often gives the impression uh, that these things just explode into the record. They're, they're not there, then suddenly they are there. And they're there sometimes in profusion. But as I said, if you go to some of these key Ediacaran localities, the fossils are there in profusion as well. But they are perhaps a little bit more rare, you know, perhaps a little bit more few and far between. There may be aspects of the Cambrian explosion that we can cling to in terms of you know, maybe it is the explosion of bilaterian animals. Maybe it's the explosion of, of, of the phyla. Maybe it is simply when things become more abundant. Maybe it's when animals with skeletons become more abundant. These are all certainly more you know, components. There's no doubt that we have this sort of increasing complexity by any metric during this time. I mean, another f fascinating thing that's coming out with the Cambrian explosion, it's, it, it, in itself, it isn't, if, even if you take the Cambrian alone, it's not just one event. There seem to be multiple events within the Cambrian, certainly at least, at least two waves when things rise and fall and rise and fall. So 
if you like, we can we can subdivide and subdivide and find all these little mini radiations. So this does beg the question, which one is the Cambrian radiation? Are they all the Cambrian radiation? And I prefer to think of it as the Ediacaran and Cambrian is all part of the same radiation, big radiation event. But within it, we have these multiple phases. Henceforth, I will no longer refer to the Cambrian explosion as well, the, the Cambrian explosion. But I'm also not calling it the Edicarian Cambrian radiation. Like, that's just a mouthful. So what do we call it? I don't think it can be relegated to one name, Shane. It's so much more. I think it's like something, something about things becoming more complex and abundant. It just has to be woven in as a descriptor. You you realize that that's almost literally killing me as a science communicator to make things more complex than less complex. Well, isn't explaining it just more? Isn't it all about making things more complex? That's okay. (laughs) That's, that's fair. So maybe we won't, maybe we won't be the ones to figure this out. Uh, But maybe our listeners can hit us up with some suggestions. But regardless of the name change, this isn't necessarily uncommon for seemingly precedented scientific fact to be rethought, right? Yeah, that's totally right. And that's one of the amazing things about science. Scientists are never set on anything. We always get to re-examine things and build on past theories. And Rachel says this uncertainty is part of what makes her research so interesting. Well, I think it's one of these enduring mysteries of how complex life came to be on planet Earth. It's fundamental to our existence. I mean, the, the extraordinary thing about our planet is that it it is supporting an extraordinary diversity of complex life. And we don't even know the bare bones of how that came about. It's just fundamental to our existence and to the existence of this extraordinary planet that we have, which, as far as we know, is unique. But I suppose it simply remains absolutely fascinating and and enigmatic because it's this extraordinary crescendo of the origin of of animals and the animal groups that we we know and love today. But it, it simply remains a conundrum. So it sounds like especially when it comes to certain aspects of science, or in this case, fossils, that nothing is quite set in stone. I'm happy happy that I at least like cracked myself up on this one. Uh, All right, folks. Well, that's all from Third Pod from the Sun. Thanks so much, Molly, for bringing us this story and to Rachel for sharing her work with us. This episode was produced by Molly with audio engineering from Colin Warren. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this podcast. Please rate and review us. And as always, you can find new episodes on your favorite podcasting app or at thirdpodfromthesun.com. Thanks all, and we'll see you next week. Okay, so then, Vicky, you start this one. It's Cambrian. Well, so that's the thing. Is is there a... I think it's. I think you can say it both ways. Cambrian or Cambrian? Cambrian's not just like a weird accent thing. Cambrian. See, I just called it Cambrian. I call Cambrian. it Cambrian as well. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. 